Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and this is a very special episode. Two gentlemen, kindred spirits, who are sipping on diet sodas and are you got the Pepsi, though, man. I, I What's know. wrong with you, man? Well, the store was out of Diet Dr. Pepper, so I had <laughs> okay, to settle for right. Pepsi, unfortunately. But uh, Patrick Royce, Star Tribune. Um, Patrick, I am so glad to have you here. And I just sent you a text the other day, and I said, I need you on to talk about Zimmer's era. And I thought, what, what better idea than to have you give us some historical perspective and rank head coaches. But can I just get, can I just get your take on the decision first um, on, on the, the Vikings decision to move on from Spielman and Zimmer? Uh, I really, uh, I was very apprehensive that it was going to, they weren't going to get them both. And this idea that Spielman was going to be moved up somewhere nebulous and uh, and be lurking over this guy if you're gonna blow out zim and it's basically a p it's a in addition to being a football decision it's also a pr decision you're just gonna get if you keep spielman around you're just gonna get bashed by the same you know it, 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 you don't make a, the traditional uh pr uh, triumph that you're going to get now by blowing both of them out of there, because I think Spielman was just as big a problem as, uh, as, uh, as Zim was. And uh, I, I'm just looking forward to a general manager who, instead of uh, drafting a guy with a chance to be a difference maker in the third round, will trade down to get six seventh rounders. And uh, which to me are the same as undrafted free agents. Uh, so uh, Spielman, the, the plaudits that he received for uh, trading down and getting 15 draft choices drove me insane. I, I want five choices. And then if some referral bait like Beckham gets cut, sign him, right? I mean, do the Rams thing. But uh, so I'm all in on this. Now, it is interesting let me put it this way. I don't know who's helping the Wilfs here, maybe Brzezinski, but I would rather have anybody that they have, a couple of fans helping me than Bill Polian, like they have in, uh, where is that, Chicago, that they have Bill Polian helping them. Uh, you know, Bill, the ship has sailed. You're a babbling idiot. Uh, let's uh, get, you know, how'd, how'd that football league years go, Bill? How much did that cost people uh, uh, so that when I see that and think that they're making some stride forward, like, you know, this is a guy in a league where the, you think he's going to recommend some 38 year old coach to the, uh, the bears. No, this is the Vikings are going to hire 
I think if they can hire Kellen Moore, they will. I, th- I think they're in on the, they're going to go really young, really positive. And as we all say, Matthew, you do the opposite. When you hire a new coach, you do the opposite. And in this generation, it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be the young guy with the positive spin. It's going to be the closest thing they can have to Phil Fleck who isn't completely full of BS when he speaks, you know, the, the, somebody who actually speaks a fairly straight, but not never in a negative fashion. Right. That's what we're going to get. We're going to get a, we're going to get a spin doctor who isn't spinning to make your head explode. So that's my theory. So, well, you know, I think that, um, you know, part of the, the conversation about, you know, being players, coaches and things like that, and being more positive, I think about how, you know, Pete Carroll is the oldest coach in the league and John Harbaugh is way older than you think he is. And those are kind of two of the bigger rah-rah type of coaches. And even even guys who were like Zimmer, Dick Vermeil back in his day, like way back in the day, he said he had to change Tom Coughlin. He had to change when he was with the New York Giants. And I think that Zimmer's refusal. I I think it was a modest change. Yeah. Let me say in Coughlin's case, I think it was a very modest change, but considering his success as a, when he took over a club down there and started badmouthing everybody. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it's uh, it, I, I, the, the most damning thing to me is when Eric Kendricks comes out and takes a shot at him. Uh, I mean, Eric Kendricks is to me, the epitome of a high-class NFL football player. He's, uh, you know, he's not the most gifted guy physically. He's their best player, in my opinion, on both sides of the ball when he's healthy. And to have him come out and and take that shot is, uh, was, wow. That was just, you know, I can't believe, now let me say this, I can't believe that Eric Kendricks feared Mike Zimmer. I don't think that he probably feared Zim. But I, I think he just used fear as yelling at people, right? I mean, that's just kind of a euphemism for yelling at people. I don't think he was like, you know, a terrorist or anything out there on the football field. But uh, you know, the, the 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 day of the day of getting away with that is is over, even in the NFL, which is the toughest, nastiest game in the world. Well, I think when everybody has analyzed this over years, is that if you have players with confidence that can play. Like they're not afraid of being yelled at or embarrassed or things like that. Jeremiah Searles told a story on the show a few weeks ago about how, you know, Zimmer would put up on the, on the video board in the, um, you know, in the meetings and say like, here's the worst play of the week or whatever, and show somebody, (laughs) you know, things like that. I mean, Matt Patricia was doing that to people in Detroit where you're just embarrassing people and just Mm -hmm. going off on people all the time. And I think that that really wears you down. If you're winning a ton of games, maybe you could kind of put it on the back burner and say, Hey, we're winning anyway. But Mm -hmm. when things are tough and it can go one way or the other, this whole thing, well, we were close, we were close, right? Well, you lost an edge there probably by having everybody play afraid. And every time it was a clutch situation, their defense didn't do the right things. It's like, well, you're either teaching them wrong or they're afraid to make a mistake. So that's why they're giving up these plays. And I think that you can root that back to Mike Zimmer's culture and atmosphere that he created. I would also like to say they were just as close to being forced at 13 as they were 10 and yeah. seven. So, uh, you know, that's, that is the modern NFL 
every game is decided in the last three minutes. I said when they lost those first two, this is a disaster because there are going to be 12 games there this year that are you're going to win or you're going to lose. And you don't have any idea with three minutes left. And to start off 0-2 in those games instead of at least 1-1, to get yourself in a two-loss hole of those games that are going to be there every week. Who could have guessed two of them would be against the Lions? But, uh, you know, I mean, no, the Lions, we lost a heartbreaker with the Lions. Well, you also want want an out-of-nowhere game you didn't deserve to win against the Lions. They were just, as I said again, they was close to four wins as they were 10. So this nonsense of being close is unbelievable. I, I got to say, I was, a, you know, even though it was Zoomy, uh, Mark Wolf was uh, surprisingly candid, I thought, and uh, it was uh, made a pretty impressive showing. I missed the Zig Monster doing those things because it's it's like watching Harpo Marx when he tries to say something. He got he got chilly off to a horrible start by, you know, he was the first. It was his first opportunity to address people on a on a big change, and he was a doorknob of okay all time. And then chilly came along. So anyway, so yeah, Mark Wilf, uh, I thought uh, he's he's definitely uh, definitely a good decision to let Ziggy handle the real estate out there and let Mark Wilf be your uh, spokesman. I would hope we get a general manager, Mark, uh, Matt, that uh, talks more than uh, draft day, uh, preseason, and uh, the, the bye week. Uh, a general manager that would have some accessibility to people to explain their conduct, who isn't just leaking stuff to his three guys in the national media and is actually talking to people who cover the team would be a real benefit. Uh, I, I, I really did think that Spielman would be good enough at backstabbing to keep his job, but he obviously wasn't. Somebody saw through him, so good for I, them. I, I mean, I totally agree with you. When I was in Buffalo, the general manager did a weekly radio show and regular press conferences, yes. and actually we sort of got tired of hearing from him because it was the same questions over and over. But, you know, with the Kellen Mond thing or Wyatt Davis or yes. whatever, you know, different free agent yes. signings. Rashad Breeland just gets cut in the middle of the season after having a fight with the entire team. Apparently, <laughs> And, and, and look, we never got a chance to ever speak with the man yeah. about what happened and what went wrong with that signing. And it's really, I think it's just a disservice to the fans. Cause I know that some people hear that go, Oh, you media guys like, no, I'd love to give you better answers. Like when you ask me about Wyatt Davis, I can only tell you what Mike said and to leave Zimmer to answer all the questions yes, about right. everything. That's I not, thought totally, that's that, totally unfair. A draft pick goes bust. Well, Mike can answer all those questions. And then he would say, well, I've got to defer it to Rick because I think he got tired of having to answer for mm-hmm. every roster thing. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I, uh, I, I knew it was going to be on Zoom, but uh, I was going to make a rare appearance on a Zoom because uh, I wanted to ask Rick. Rick, I want to ask you a question that people always ask me. Why are you still here? (laughs) (laughs) I hear it all the time, Rick. Why? What do you think? Why are you still here? So uh, I uh, congratulations to the Wolf for blowing him. Wolf's blowing him out. Zim knew from when. Zim looked to me like on the sideline. He knew it from the time he walked off the field in Cincinnati that if if he didn't 
win a playoff game, he was not going to be back. I think you? that the minute Cousins went on the COVID list, that, yes, yeah, he was like, this well, he, is going to get me at some point. Uh, I, was, I think the Lions lost. Where it became official, you can't yeah. really turn this around, was the Lions lost because they had to thread a really tough needle. They had to beat good teams. They had to yeah. have people yeah. stay healthy and everything else, and that just wasn't going to happen. And then that's when they had some of the uh, COVID absences. But uh, they had all season to set themselves up. And that's the one thing that drives me crazy, Patrick, is, you know, like eight wins or seven wins or 10 wins. Like these aren't really close numbers to championship level of wins. So what difference does it make when they talk about we were close or we weren't close? Like, look, you lost to the Detroit Lions in a must win game. Like, what do you want? What do you want anybody to say? I think that was the moment where they went, okay, now you're a national embarrassment. The Wilfs, I know, watch NFL Network and ESPN. And the next day after that was, can you believe Jared Goff wins player of the week? <laughs> I mean, just, just dunking on them. I think that was the moment where he knew like, this, well, isn't, this isn't going to go in a good place. This was absolutely a redo of 2010, except the coach didn't get fired in the middle of the season like Chili did. But we went to training camp in 2010. They'd been to the, you know, they'd been within a heartbeat of going to the Super Bowl, And then Favre's, either trying to not make, you know, make up his mind or not to come back. And Percy Harvin's grandmother dies for the sixth or seventh time. And he takes off for two weeks. And Sidney Rice says, if you don't pay me, I'm not going to, I'm going to not play. I'm going to have surgery. And the whole thing, just before they ever got out of Mankato, the whole thing was just chaos. And this year I was out there on that first Wednesday and Zim was giddy. He thought he had his defense now. He had Dalvin healthy, and and uh, he was Barr was going to come back. He was sure, sure, and uh, and on Friday, the quarterback goes into quarantine, and the big story comes: How? Why do you have the lowest vaccination rate? He's supposed to answer that question too. Why do you have the lowest? vaccination one of the lowest in the nfl and zim should be stuck with those questions i i'll I'll say that from somebody else you know that's what spielman's got to come down and say we're disappointed you know doesn't he okay before we get into uh talking about ranking the all-time coaching eras um for the vikings with you which is the plan here i just want to tell you a quick funny story so we're at training camp one day very very beginning first couple of days and Bob Hagen, who does the PR, comes over and says, hey, guys, hang on for a second. Rick is going to come down. Rick Spielman's going to come down. He's got something he wants to talk to you guys about. And we're like, oh, OK, is this about? Wow. Yeah, like what, what's going on? Is there a big trade? Is there like something happening? Rick comes down. So we're all gathered. We're all like on edge here. What's going to go on? And he says, guys, I just want to apologize to everybody. We had said we were going to be in pads today but we're actually not going to be in pads because of uh, some rule or whatever. So it's going to be tomorrow is the first day of padded practice. Like, <laughs> well, why did he bother to do that? Right. And then we're like, and then, and then was what? He you just, traded someone or, or that? Was, you know, he like, just, was, was he just taunting you guys to make you walk all the way over there again? Well, we, we were already hope. there. We were already there, but yeah. But then he just, you know, they just went back to his office. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's our last availability with him for months, but it was just funny how like, Oh, there's this, is there some big announcement coming? Rick is actually going to talk. And then it was like, 
No, no. He's just telling us they're not going to be. Let's get a coach young enough to walk over to the press room to do his, uh, to do his press conferences. Uh, if they're not going to be, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with being over there when practice is starting, but, uh, uh, why do they build that big press room there? If nobody's ever going to, I think Zim just did that to be a jerk too. So you know, <laughs> yeah, Zim, when it's cold out, the Zimmer does come down. So, um, Oh, that's, that'd be nice of him. Yeah, that is nice. of him. So uh, anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's start the ranking. Now you, you, there are nine coaches. There are nine coaches. You right? requested to start at the top rather than starting at the bottom. Yes. Cause I don't want to, you know, and this is, I told you this before, I'm often accused of just being a bleep disturber. Right. But I tried to give you my legitimate feeling as to who the, how the coaches rank one through nine. And uh, as evidence of that will be number two. Okay. Uh, there, there's a, uh, the feeling that the, the media did not get along with this guy, but obviously Bud Grant is number one. He coached 17 years uh, uh, that, uh, and then he came back for the eight. Now, if I was going to rate Bud two in, in 1985, he just came back for the money and, uh, and the, and the guaranteed contract to bail Mike Lynn out from the less Neckle disaster. So Bud two would be right down there at the bottom, but Bud one, obviously a hall of famer. And, uh, you know, people keep saying, Oh, Owen four in the super bowls and in later generations kind of hold that over his head. Well, uh, uh, let's, I, I always say in his defense, Kansas City Chiefs, we, that was a big upset. But when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, that was not a big upset. They got eight Hall of Famers, and they had, that doesn't include Jim Tyree, who was the left tackle who ended up, unfortunately, going goofy and murdering his wife when he was 40 or 41. But he, the people, the left tackle from Ohio State, they say he was the best player on that team. And he, the what he did knocking around Jim Marshall that day is one of the big reasons Jim Marshall's not in the hall of fame. And cause the old AFL guys never give him credit. So that team was great, right? They were great. The Vikings didn't show up, but they were great. Uh, and then Pittsburgh, I mean, Miami was, you know, that wasn't the unbeaten team, but it might as well been. They just ran it down their throat. And that Pittsburgh team that they lost to, at Tulane Stadium, that was their best chance to win a game because that team wasn't fully formed as yet. But allegedly, Tarkington had a bad bad arm uh, that game. I'm, I'm not sure, but they got absolutely devoured by the steel curtain that wasn't fully the steel curtain yet. And then the Oakland Raiders, by then the Vikings were going downhill and that Oakland Raiders team was, was good. I mean, look at the AFL, AFL-AFC in the seventies, I think it's the best conference there's ever been. And the Vikings, the Vikings would have been a lot better off if they were playing the Buffalo bills all those times, right. <laughs> uh, later on, like the other teams were. So anyway, bud, bud, number one, obviously, uh, Denny, Denny green, number two, he lasted a decade. He made the playoffs eight out of nine times. And he came in with a team you know, 91, they were not good. They were six and 10. They were, they were in decline. They made the Herschel Walker trade and they didn't have the draft choices and, uh, and uh, they were going to the tank and uh, you know, he came in and uh, the new sheriff came to town and there's this, there's this feeling that uh, 
that we were all ripping Denny from the beginning. Uh, not true. Uh, for three years, he was the new sheriff. And uh, then uh, he lost a playoff game to the Bears with backup quarterback Steve Walsh in the Metronome. They looked awful doing that. And that's probably the first time any shots were taken at Denny in the local media. And he didn't take it well. <laughs> so, uh, and then, of course, the scandal occurred a month later and it turned into it turned into general ugliness but you, you, you can't deny the the fact that uh uh you know that he was he made the playoffs eight or nine years and then in 2001 as soon as he went in the tank they fired him but uh he's you know he's number two and you know what if if he didn't have roger hedrick as his boss, uh, once Lynn left, because Lynn actually, coaches loved him. You know, the coaches loved him. Hedrick thought he you know, would put a whistle on and walk around the field like he was a, you know, he was a dummy. But uh, he was going to, you know, he would have definitely drafted Warren Sapp. And they wouldn't let him draft Warren Sapp, and they had to draft Derek Alexander unless. If you would have drafted Warren Sapp, I, I think a year before Randy Moss, he would have been pretty good on both sides of the ball. <laughs> I think so. John, considering that John Randall was still holding on then too. So, I mean, they, that, that was a front office decision that, what was it? What Warren was smoking pot before the, that's, you know, 15 teams. How stupid was the NFL back then? 15 teams passed Warren sap because he had some marijuana in his blood when he went to the combine. What a bunch of morons. And I think that there was even a thing that it was a rumor started by somebody on purpose. Like, I don't doubt that Warren Sapp yeah. may have been indulging in some things at the university of yeah. Miami that were, uh, <laughs> yeah, this was possible, but uh, yeah, I think that there were teams out there sort of like, if you remember the Kobe Bryant story where they purposefully leaked that he was going to go play in Europe if he was drafted yes. by certain yeah. teams just yeah, to try right. to force yeah. him to the Lakers. And I think it was the same thing with Warren Sapp and the Vikings were just one of the teams that bought into it. But imagine that Randy Moss on one side and Warren Sapp on the other. Yeah. So uh, Denny could have, uh, you know, if you had Warren Sapp in 1998, you go to the Super Bowl, right? For sure. <laughs> there, nothing could have, Gary Anderson could have missed four field goals and it wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have been, uh, it wouldn't have been that bad. But uh, the other thing about Denny is he did it with all kinds of different quarterbacks. You know, I mean, the, the fact that uh, Cunningham has to come in and uh, and become his quarterback uh, when the other guy, uh, who was it? I can't remember who got, they didn't bring him in to be the starter. Didn't somebody get hurt? I can't it was, remember. Uh, yeah, Brad, Brad Johnson. Oh, uh, Brad Johnson. Was the starter in 98. Yeah. Well, you know, and think about this too. The NFC at that time, had just the monsters. I mean, they had the mm -hmm. the Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers during Denny's time were just so yeah. dominant through, yeah. through that entire time. And it, it feels like there was so much talent. And then not even to mention the Packers with Brett Favre. So you had these monsters and they were right there all the yeah. time, almost every single year with Denny. And, and I, I think that that's one of the most impressive parts of it is they did not have Aikman, Young or Favre. And they were always there at the end. And that helpless uh, Falcons team that came in here and beat them was fourteen and two, by the way. So it's not like it's not like the uh, and Chris Chandler played the best game a visiting quarterback has ever played without having a false start in the whole game with that crowd going nuts, and the Metrodome was twice as loud as this place. So uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I'd have to put Denny, too. Now, this is a surprising choice because I, number three, I kicked it around for a long time, and the guy was goofy, but Van Brocklin. I have Van Brocklin, number three, Norm Van Brocklin. He was the original coach. He comes in, and you got to remember this. The Gophers went to the Rose Bowl tonight. The Gophers were kings. Gopher football was king. Uh, win or lose throughout the, at least after World War II, uh, nine Saturdays a year, all anybody in Minnesota worried about was go for football. And a Murray Warmath had been three and 15 and 58 and 59. And we're going to run him out. Then they go to the Rose bowl in 60 and 61. When the Vikings are getting started, the, the Vikings superior, the Gophers superior position to the Vikings in 1961 is similar to the Vikings and the Gophers today. I mean, the Gophers were kings and the Vikings, ah, this pro football, we don't know. They're playing out at Met Stadium and this baseball park. And, uh, you know, it was not, you know, first of all, they were still finishing Met Stadium then. And uh, I think it only held 30-some thousand for the Vikings. And, and it was, there was really minimal, minimal, appreciation or you know they they started off their first ever game they beat the bears when uh you know 30 what is that score you look back 37 to six or something i mean their first ever game targeting and running around the field and we all talked about that but we cared a lot more about the gophers whether they were going to beat iowa or not and by 64 they were pretty good you know he had this slapstick teams they used to like the established clubs would trade, you know, Jim Marshall and five other guys for a, for could just like the Browns just had to get rid of bodies, right? Because of the roster. So we'd get six Browns and they'd get one of your good players and a draft choice, right? And, uh, and, and it was slight in 64, it looked like they were going somewhere. And uh, by, you know, competitiveness and we were interested in them by the Vikings where the Gophers were slipping a little and, and Van Brocklin, the public, the public didn't know he was a mean drunk, <laughs> you know, that he would get, that he would get loaded. Uh, uh, and my favorite Van Brocklin story is it had a lot to do with my journalism career. I was a copy boy at the star tribune in 65 and, uh, Charlie Johnson was the executive sports editor. He was the man and Sid was the Tribune sports editor and Van Brocklin quit. You know, he got full of booze one night and decided after a disappointing loss in the middle of the season and decided I can't take this team any further. And Monday morning, they, he announced he quit. And I was sitting in a copy boy in a, on a corner there and Charlie and Sid were calling Norm Van Brocklin every filthy name in the book. They couldn't stand the guy. Then they both wrote columns the next day, begging him to come back. <laughs> so I said, I said, if I ever end up doing this, I'm not going to, I'm not telling what I think is the truth. Anyway, uh, Van Brocklin did come back, but when he came back, it was all over for him. But, by establishing the Vikings in town because the, the, the general manager was a guy named Burt Rose and he was very in the background. Norm Ben Brocklin made all the personnel decisions and Burt Rose was like a former PR guy with the Rams, I think, or something like that. So, so Van Brocklin, I would put number three. 
folks, we've got an even better offer to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code Purple Insider, one word, you can get 15% off your purchase. That's right. At SodaStick.com, your place for Minnesota sports inspired apparel, you can get 15% off just by using the code Purple Insider. I've told you about all the great football designs, but they've added a few more, including the Axe is Back for Minnesota football fans. You can get that on a shirt, on a hat, and also Randy Moss is the GOAT, the Purple People Eaters, Bud Grant designs for the old school fan, plus the hockey and basketball teams are both actually exciting this year, and Soda Stick has you covered there as well. Go to SodaStick.com, that is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I think it's interesting that that you include him there so high uh, in part because he's not a guy that's talked about a whole lot. I mean, yes, it goes back a long time, so you could see how it would kind of be forgotten. But um, establishing the franchise to get them going and then on to the, the Bud Grant era is probably not given enough credit. I think it's a good choice because for me, what immediately came to mind, and I'm sure we'll get to this next, is Zimmer versus Jerry Burns for who you're going to put at number three. Um, so I, I was surprised that you wanted to put Van Brocklin there, but I think that your logic makes a lot of sense. And when do you think the next time we're going to have an NFL MVP quarterback quit to become a coach the next season, <laughs> head coach the next season? He was 34. He was washed up. You know, he won this. He beat the Packers band Lombardi in the in the title game, which was the Eagles' uh, last title. You know, 1960 before they uh, won the Super Bowl here. But I have Jerry Burns fourth and mostly based on a, the, you know, Bud came back for one year, but they were still bad when he took over in 65. Uh, and he was really a sharp offensive guy. And that, and just because of the playoff run they made in, in 87, you got to remember that that team was really good, but they had the strike. They made no effort to put together a strike team. They're, they're, they had the worst scab team in the history of mankind. They were 0-3. So they ended up 8-7, and seven and they backed into the playoffs, but they were actually 8-4. and four. And they were 8-2 and two at one time and then lost their last two games. They were good. But that, that playoff run in 87, because I was talking with uh, Jed about this yesterday, we we refer to NFL playoff runs as if you if you if you don't have to play in the division you know if you 
if you win one game, it's a playoff run. And well, that team had an actual playoff run because they went to New Orleans first year ever in the playoffs, really fired up and it looked like a good team. And they went down and beat them bloody with Bobby A. Bear as the quarterback. And, 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 and then they went out to San Francisco and got Joe Montana boot off the field at halftime. And then they went to Washington and got beat on the last play of the game, basically. That would have been the greatest playoff run in NFL history, wouldn't it? At New Orleans, at San Francisco, and at that Washington team, Joe Gibbs and those guys. So I put Bernsey there, and I'm using a little prejudice here because you haven't lived as a journalist until Bernsey's called you a dumb <laughs> MFer. <laughs> Tell you, Bernsey's. Tell you've been in that little room that they used to have at Winter Park that was the auxiliary press room, and there's six guys in there on the day after they. Uh, it looks like they're going to back into the playoffs in '87, and sent because they lost on Saturday, and this is Sunday morning, and they needed. I think they needed the, a bad Cowboys team to beat the Cardinals, St. Louis, and uh, and and. Uh, you know, there's the famous Bernsey tirade with Schnelker, but this one was Bob Sansevier was a trib, a star trib, uh, the trib beat writer then, and asked said something about his team not having a killer instinct, and he went on, he went on a killer instinct. Nobody had a tape recorder, which is unfortunate because his killer instinct tirade was better than his Schnelker tirade, uh, and you know, a really smart smart coach and uh and the, the players cared about him and you know i i just put him forth i got him forth yeah i i like uh, i mean when you add in what he did as the offensive coordinator to yes, the mix, yeah there's I no mean, doubt about it right he, and and got snubbed and and had them hire less Steckel instead of him you know when birdsey when he when bud quit the first time which was a kick in the shins but not much different than today because the Zimmer wanted, I mean, not Zimmer, Mike Lynn wanted to go younger and, you know, replace, you know, wanted to do the opposite of Bud and have this young, brilliant young mind, Les Steckel, come in there. (laughs) I'm uh, uh, sorry, just with uh, one more note on on Jerry Burns. I just think that he was one of the great offensive minds really in NFL history and just doesn't really get that much credit for it. And then you look at how they operated their offenses. And and one of my favorite things about that era is just, Wade Wilson, Tommy Kramer, Wade Wilson, Tommy Kramer going back and forth whenever Tommy's injured or when they just, he wasn't playing well or something. So it wasn't like he had Joe Montana and, and just threw him out there and yet found a lot of ways to create offense and and be an explosive offensive team without having that elite quarterback, which of course is always the history of the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, I think that he goes underappreciated because he wasn't the Bill Walsh who, you know, had Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, and all those guys. He absolutely loved Kramer, but Kramer put him through hell, man. Kramer was, you know, Kramer with his uh, exploits were, uh, you know, the Bernsey didn't have the whole period, but he had quite a bit of the period when they had 13 DWIs in 18 months, which was, and Tommy was, and Tommy made his famous call to the Chicago radio station. I mean, it had been arranged for him to be on the the big Chicago sports station then, which is probably the score now or whatever it is down there. But, uh, uh, and that 
745 in the morning, Tommy was hammered. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And Birdsy had to put up with that. And uh, but he loved Kramer. And it was it was the hardest thing he ever did when he switched to Wade Wilson there. He didn't, you know, but he, it wasn't easy to do. Uh, I really got a problem with five, six, or seven here. Uh, I'm gonna go with Mike Tyson, number five. Underrated underrated he comes in after the 5 and 11 disaster with denny uh he's got some of denny's guys there he's got no team at all he went the year he got fired now i'm not worried about the love boat which i think is funny and one of the great if they didn't have gladys kravitz the snoop out there seeing somebody urinate behind a tree we would have never found out about it right and uh and uh, and the you know the scalping tickets was a little shaky. I'll say that for Mike. But what the hell? That's kind of guy he is. But he went nine and seven his last year. He got when they fired him twenty minutes after the game after Culpepper got hurt and Brad Johnson was his quarterback. They went on this big winning streak and they uh, they went nine and seven and and that was when Red was being so cheap. He took away his offensive coordinator. He didn't. He had Steve Loney. Ooh, nice guy, mediocre offensive line coach is now his offensive coordinator because Brad wouldn't pl play Scott Linehan, who was really uh, Culpepper's brains. You know, I mean, he was he had Culp he he would read defenses in the headset for Culpepper as as long as you could back then. And uh, I mean, Scott Linehan was his the maestro for uh, Culpepper and they let him go to, I think Dallas, right. Do you go to Dallas? Uh, Cause he did red one Pam, you know? And uh, so Tice had to put up with that. And uh, plus you got to like a guy who has us, they, they got a sign in the parking lot at bunnies out on uh, Excelsior Boulevard, this spot reserved for Mike Tice, <laughs> right? His primo spot. But he was a, you know, he never got another coaching job, really. Uh, he, he was an offensive line coach, never got a shot as a head coach. I always thought he would have been a great college coach at Maryland or something as an alumni, alum. But uh, uh, there's a little prejudice on that, too, because he was such a, we, we loved him so much. Uh, one of my favorite stories, Matt, is uh, he's got a game, I think, in 04 and in Green Bay. They go over to Green Bay and they're they're not very good. Maybe it was 03. They're not very good. And they they end up playing them tough in the middle of late in December, and it's a lousy day. And there's an incredible number of bad calls against them. And Ticey going crazy after the game. Well, he gets a letter from the league on Tuesday admitting that there were eight bad calls in the game, right? But these are private communications, right? So we're in the racquetball court there that was the press room at Winter Park later on in life. And he, I happened to be out there that day on Tuesday, Wednesday, probably. And he comes and he's waving this letter. Look at this bleeping thing. And he's showing it to Seifert was covering and Billy Williamson was covering and all these guys that were his, he used to walk around the practice field with those guys at lunchtime. But, uh, uh, he said, look at this, nice and bleeping, bleeping guys. And he showed everybody the letter and the next day's newspapers. Mike Tice refused comments on the, on the, on the letter exposing the NFL. But uh, but he was a better coach than people thought. They played hard. They, uh, you know, they were 
he was a really good offensive line coach. And uh, I think he's a really good investor now too, because he's just out in Seattle and he's not doing anything. So. Well, and, and their defenses were an atrocity during that time. I mean, if they were oh, yeah. even put together halfway decent defenses with the way that Culpepper was playing, I remember going back, I, I wrote kind of an appreciation for Culpepper article and yeah. pointed out that like numbers wise, the only guy that stands way above Culpepper for the for that section of time where he was healthy yes. to speak is Peyton Manning. And yet you, yeah. you looked at the defenses that they had, they were so bad. And uh, you know, n- not only that, but like one of Culpepper's great years, Randy Moss is kind of banged up. He's not at a hundred percent for the entire yeah. season. Yeah, and, and when he was fantastic. Yeah. And there's a game where he goes toe to toe with Peyton Manning. I think they lose at the very end of the game. Mm-hmm. It was like that's what that's what they were capable of as an offense at that time. And they would just you know, the Randy ratio is legendary. Just throw it up with Dante Culpepper at very least, even though some of those teams were uh, just, you know, 500 type teams, they were incredibly fun. Like I thought about the last few years for Vikings fans watching these teams, they just weren't entertaining. It was just, it was just dreadful sometimes yeah. to go into, go into big games and just no show and get down by two scores and then start playing like the Culpepper and Tice era is dramatic and crazy and, and fun. I think, um, I'm sure it was frustrating to not get as far as they wanted to, but even a trip to the NFC championship game, I think, um, puts them, uh, puts the Tice era for entertainment value a little bit ahead. So give me, give me why Mike Zimmer is where he is. Cause I assume he's next on your list. Yeah, but just barely, uh, Zimmer's, uh, six and chili seven, chili underrated, uh, came in, uh, but Zim, I just think that, uh, you know, he peaked in season four and he got four more years. Uh, they, the, the, I think one of the great, we talked about this the other day, one of the great disasters, just BS in our exchange of text. One of the, the a very underrated disaster is their no show in Philadelphia, the NFC title game after they get the miracle and the Super Bowl is going to be played here. And that Philadelphia team, the week before, I had 15 points against the Giants in one of the worst games ever. It was the Giants, right? Falcons. 15 to 10. There the Falcons yeah. in a horrible game. And I, uh, plus they, they humiliated me. I was on some ESPN show, Kuiper called, whatever show Kuiper was on with some other guy, and they had me on as a guest. And they, they raised the possibility of the Eagles winning the game, and I scoffed at them. I thought they were idiots. You know, this is going to be the Vikings by two touchdowns. And uh, Nick Foles, are you kidding me? Now the Eagles turned out to be a lot better than I thought. But uh, I don't know. Zim, he, 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 gets, he let these preoccupations get in his brain, that whole kicker thing. I mean, the Daniel Carlson thing is just – I mean, not just because he went to Oakland and then Vegas and made all his kicks. It's how can Rick Spielman, when this guy, when he drafts his kid fifth, which is high for a kicker, and Zim comes to him after losing the second game of the season and greet are tying, right? Did they tie it? Because he didn't make a 29-29, yep. And why doesn't Spielman say, get the bleep out of here? What are they doing? at least keep him on the roster and let him kick off. I mean, this Zim going nuts about kickers and then going nuts about running the ball more often. Uh, if you watch that Green Bay game two weeks ago and can say we should have run the ball more, I think your brains are gone. I think you're, I think you're like borderline 
psychotic. And, uh, you know, the, the, he, he had better talent here than uh, certainly Tice had. And then a lot of guys, he, he had, he had enough talent to accomplish something and a push comes to shove. He accomplished nothing. Yeah. And the, the, the four years, I mean, that's the thing that is so tough with the Zimmer era because there's the first four years where I think people felt very good about their coach and you're right. The no show in Philadelphia is brutal. Not even to mention that they're up seven, nothing in the game. Uh, yes. And, right off the bat. Go down right. the field. And then he got out schemed badly by Doug Peterson, who may very well be the next yes. Vikings coach. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, that was another part of it too, is that the Doug Peterson and Frank Reich, they really figured out a lot of the ways to take advantage of Zimmer's scheme in that game and made throws easy for Nick Foles. Um, and then their offensive line was better and everything else. But you know, that was another part of it is that every time Zimmer over these last four years, and then even like starting in 2017, every time that there was reason to think that this team can go somewhere, or this is a big game that they really need every time they came short. It just like that. That's partly of course the quarterback, but it even goes back to 2016 where they've got a home game against the Colts. All they need to do is win that game 2016. They're in the playoffs and they completely no show and get killed 34 to six. It was like, that is kind of what defines his era to me is like the preoccupations of course, and the way that he operated uh, with the players, but also that his teams were so rarely ready to play when it came to when they needed it the most. And even the Minneapolis miracle game, they're up 17 to nothing and completely blow the lead and need a miracle win. If not, that would have been such a massive disappointment. If uh, you know, Drew Brees had just thrown the ball on third and one, instead of handing off up the middle uh, at the end of that game. So um, yeah, I think that 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 really takes away, especially these last four years, the number of massive disappointments to fans every time they had reason to think their team was going somewhere. And being on that edge makes your point that like they were good enough talent wise and they just didn't win the games that they needed the most. Um, so I think that, well, that, that that's some of the disappointment that fans walk away go, with. Let's go all the way back to Norv Turner. Norb Turner, he comes in to save him because he's just a defensive coach, right? So he's Norb's Norb has agreed to come back to, you know, and Norb, whether you believe it or not, is considered one of the great offensive strategists in NFL history. It got him a lot of head coaching jobs that he probably didn't deserve, but you and you are waiting, waiting in his office. When a team is what? What were they? They were over 500 that year. 15. They were, right? they were five and two and just had lost to Chicago when yes. Norv quit. Yeah, well, but but he was waiting in the office when Norv arrived at 5 a.m. to tell him he was going to take his power away from him. And, you know, that that whole idea that Norv quit is horse crap because Zim basically ran him off so Pat Shermer could have the job, right? And, uh, you know, I mean, that's what his paranoia about offensive coordinators start. And John D. Filippo, you know, man, remember after, remember the the storyline when we uh, hired him that he was the, you know, Doug Peterson. Sure, he was sharp, but this guy was way sharper than Frank Reich. He was the guy that they really relied on to run that offense, and he makes it thirteen games because he likes to pass. So, uh, is is. His conduct with kickers, 
his contact with the, the running game, his running off offensive coordinators, and landing on Clint Kubiak for his last year is just, I mean, I, I have a hard time even putting him six. I think I Chili was more harmless than him. Right, so. getting to the end and having no one want your jobs to be yeah. uh, working with you yeah. is, it's yes. and, and you know, really, that's the thing. In 2018, if they had fired Zimmer after the failure of 2018, which remember, their expectations were to go to the Super Bowl yes. that year, and they won eight games. And if they had just said, you know what, you came so far short, we are done with you, we're going to hire an offensive coach to work with um, Kirk Cousins. I mean, I'm not saying they go to the Super Bowl at any point, but you have to wonder, like, because you're right, it just sort of degraded into lunacy by the end with Zimmer, where it became a parody of itself. Like when he said the thing about running the ball in Green Bay, I think <laughs> us in the room at that moment at Lambeau Field, we looked at each other like, nobody laugh out loud because then he's going to get really uh, mad. But we just looked at each other and went like, what? They were now by 20. Cook didn't hit a gap that didn't have two people in it the whole time, for God's sake. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, he got, he got, uh, you know, he got worse. There's no doubt about it. He got worse. Chili underrated. He's seventh. I got him seventh, but he's a, you know, Chili wasn't that bad. Chili, here's Chili's problem. He came in and that first year and it was, this is how a coach is supposed to act. He's supposed to be a stern leader and, uh, and, uh, you know, Bob, now no nonsense guy with the media, with the pub, with the players, with everything. And it didn't work. And he actually changed. He actually became a pretty good guy. Now there were certain people like Lertzema and those guys, they couldn't stand him because he didn't get the inside. He wasn't going to tell you stuff, you know, like they were used to, but uh, what Ticey told everybody, everything. So, but he was, you know, I mean, he, he got himself a quarterback and uh, was uh, five seconds away from uh going to the Super Bowl. So I think he's an okay guy. And uh, I, uh, I uh, appreciate the fact that you can still call him up and get good stuff from him. He's in town here. You know, he lives in town here. He goes to Florida once in a while, but uh, uh, I, I remember going out in 2017, he had uh, enough, not uh, 2007. He had enough bad PR that they had us all oh, they They lined up a half hour, session for all you know before the start of camp come on out and sit in chili's office and talk to him and uh i i did one of those days and he was he started he started i was kind of reviewing his career and he started off as a graduate assistant at illinois with mike white one of the great one of the great ncaa rules violators of all time and he started telling mike white recruiting cheating stories and I was howling for an hour he was a grad assistant and in November he was at in front of the NCAA infractions committee trying to explain uh you know I mean he, he's a he was a competent he was he was they screwed up that that first introductory press conference so bad we all make jokes about winning the press conference and I think Generally speaking, you're allowed, you know, the the public is very liberal in judging the press conference, right? Hey, it was great, right? But between Ziggy and Chili 
in that first press gallery. He was in, he was behind the eight ball from uh, right off the bat, and uh, you know, and he's, uh, but he's, I, I got him, uh, I got him seventh, but reluctantly. Okay, so eight. Well, ninth has got to be Steckel. So Steckel's ninth, and I got less. I got less eight. Eight. I just late. I less had no impact on the franchise, in my opinion. Okay. Less was not a bad guy, a good guy, but you know, nothing, nothing happened, right? And uh, I think he's obviously proved he's a pretty good defensive coordinator, but uh, but uh, there's it, it was just a nothing three year period, right? Yeah. Now, do you think that he'll get when the roof falls shot? down and Huh? You think Frazier will get another shot? No. Yeah, I, don't I think, think so either. I think he's too old. The Bears are talking about it, but I, I think he's. I don't. I can't see many. Uh, of course, Bill Polian. Who knows? He might think Les is a young and up up and coming kid, but uh, uh, I, I don't see any people of that generation getting a job this time. Do you? I uh, think probably it, not. Yeah, I think they're going Peter, younger. Peterson, I was, Peterson I was, will land somewhere. So. I was going to make the crack that Bill Polian probably wants to move Justin Fields to wide receiver or something. <laughs> I don't know. An uh, athlete I, like that looks like a, looks like a halfback to me. Tailback actually. I was there for a uh, Colts Patriots playoff game when the Colts beat them for the first time in Peyton. And that was in the old place, not Lucas oil. And, and then in a corner of the, press box that we were kind of in this auxiliary part of the press box ducked down there where you could barely get out of it up above us were the Indianapolis executives I have never heard so many screaming obscenities in my life and I'm a pretty good obscenity screamer myself it was uh Polian and his boys were just insane so uh, well you know uh, I've never been a fan of his when you go from uh Jim Kelly to Peyton Manning, you're a genius. Yes. Yeah. You're a genius, even though, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, who, uh, who could have, uh, everybody we know could have been that genius. Right. Well, so who's, look, your I mean, pick? who's your pick for GM? Oh, for GM is hard. Um, because I just don't know a lot about the people, right? Like you just, with a coach, you can look at it and go, well, here's his system and here's how they play. And here's the factors. But with a GM, I mean, I, I've started writing a piece about kind of the type of person that I want or that they should want. And it's, to me, it's someone who's focused on value and not being a scout. Like we're just making fun of Bill Polian. Bill Polian yeah. is an old scouting guy. And I yeah. don't doubt that Bill Polian in his day was great at scouting football players. I actually, I mean, I think that Rick Spielman was good at scouting football players. He's an old scout, but scouts don't understand value the way that cap people do or that front office executives do. And I think the game now there's two games. There's the game that happens on the field and the game that happens during the off season when everybody makes their moves and tries to be the most efficient and get tiny edges on other teams. And there were so many moves, like you're drafting a center in the first round, you're trading a fourth rounder for a, a third yeah. string tight end. Like these moves that like, even if Garrett Bradbury was a great prospect, which I believe that he was coming out, it just didn't work out. Uh, identifying a good center just doesn't really get you all that far. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, so like when you're drafting a center, a tight end and a running back with your first three picks. in what was that? 2019? Like those aren't the right positions to be taking for the value. And then, you know, the say you talked about it like this, 
this squirrel brained idea of trading down from good picks to get more picks that mean nothing. I remember uh, our friend, uh, Eric eager for PFF said like sixth and seventh round picks. Those are change to make a dollar when you make a trade like, uh, well, you know, we need a little more value Throw in a seventh or something. They're not the picks that you should be focusing on to build your team with. So these harebrained ideas that he had, and, and, and the sort of focus on, I can scout good players, but you don't really understand value. I think they need something that's completely different. That's very much focused, like hyper-focused on the value part of it. My term for football, baseball, hockey, basketball, difference makers. I want different. There's, there's a million, you can be a hockey team, right? And you can take, eight guys off the Iowa wild and interchange them. It depends upon who the coach likes and doesn't like, but you need four or five difference makers. And my whole thing with, with uh, Spielman was you got a hell of a lot better chance of getting a difference maker in the third round than you do from four of them in the seventh round, just because you hit on Stefan, Stefan Diggs because he had, problems at Maryland and fell down the draft board doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it again. And I, uh, you know, I, I value, uh, yeah, I, I value talent over uh, new numbers. That's for damn sure. And uh, I, I just, uh, it, the, the, it drove me insane. The lauding that would be, you know, first of all, Spielman's got his guys right that out in the national media that he, but they'd all give him a B plus on his drafting. And huh? how about the four third rounders uh, this year? That was uh, what's it? You brought him up. Wyatt Davis. What's the deal? Uh, he can't think, get on the field when people are hurt. Well, Mike Zimmer told us, and this is what I'll miss from Mike Zimmer is if a young player was bad, boy, he had no problem letting us know. <laughs> <laughs> and why uh, if he was bad on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, right? of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wyatt Davis showed up to camp out of shape and uh, you know, that was a big problem. Like getting back, getting back into shape isn't really possible. Once you start camp, it's not like 1964 as we're talking about, I mean, you gotta be. And so they were playing him in these preseason games and he just wasn't able to, to keep up because he wasn't in shape. And I think that tells you something about somebody's drive, how much they wanted. So they were going to reward guys who had treated it like pros and maybe he'll get better, but you know, that's the thing with drafting a third rounder to start though, which is a classic. I mean, they did the same thing with, you know, Pat Alfline, like, Oh, let's draft the third round. We'll start it right away. He was okay. But then he gets hurt and we're going to just stick with him forever. Uh, you know, several was, years uh, and they love funny, Matt. I was mad. I ran across some stuff. I was looking some stuff up the other day and we were the lauding that was being done for Pat Elfline was, uh, I mean, early on, man alive, what a genius move. But I, I think this is where we miss Sid though. Don't you, that the real, uh, the real, we don't, we miss that premature praise that we would, that was, was his special. Well, my, fa- I'll give you my favorite of the year. We could wrap up was just that um, when they didn't play Kellen Mond, that Jeremy Fowler from ESPN tweeted that the Vikings were keenly aware of how young quarterbacks struggled this year in the NFL, keenly aware to make it sound like drafting this player. Who's a instant bust was like yeah. really actually quite clever. Like uh, yeah. not, not play, playing Sean Mannion was actually very smart and very clever. Like, come on, Jeremy, you got to layer it a little better than that, or everyone's going to know exactly who it came from. So, yes. Well, 
keenly aware of uh, of uh, people who couldn't. Let's face it. I got a lot of problems with Zim, but the Kellen Mond quote, I might have kept let him keep his job just because of that <laughs> quote. <laughs> we won't be getting those again. Well, say goodbye to those. Yeah. Say goodbye to the uh, say goodbye to the the uh, the hot takes that we saw the last two weeks. That's for sure. Yep, you're right. Uh, Patrick, Where's the uh, farm? Where's the ranch? Kentucky. Kentucky. It- yep. Northern Kentucky. Kentucky. He's, he's uh, he'll have a nice off season and end up being somebody's defensive consultant, don't you think? I don't think he'll coach again, but he gets paid for two years, right? Yeah, yeah, he'll be doing okay. Yep, maybe mm-hmm. he takes a year off or something, but I yeah, I think that's it. Or maybe the Wade Phillips route, he becomes a DC or something like that somewhere else uh, after. You know, you know what we did find out why he uh, interviewed for all those head coaching jobs and didn't get one because. I'm sure he was way too candid for a lot of. <laughs> way too all That's right, right. Uh, all right, Patrick. Thanks, thanks yep. so much for doing yep. this, man. Always, always a great time. Okay, sir. Thanks.